Well, today, as we turn back to the book of Genesis, and if you've got your Bibles in front of you, I would encourage you to turn back to Genesis chapter 37. And as we continue to think about this epic story of Joseph and his amazing dysfunctional family, last week, the first part of chapter 37 took us a long way in understanding what the fundamental problems were within Joseph's family and therefore his life. We were able to hear of Jacob's favoritism shown to his son Joseph. We're told back in verse 3, if you look at that verse again, that Israel, that's another name for Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And that was the fact that led to so much jealousy and resentment and hatred towards Joseph. There were all kinds of factors within that. There was the bad report that Joseph brought to his father about his brother's conduct. He would have been considered a bit of a grass, and, and what was he doing going back and telling Jacob all of this stuff? There was the special coat that Joseph had received, and we've already thought about that, and we'll think some more about that in just a moment. And then there were these strange dreams, dreams that Joseph was very quick to share with his brothers and his parents, dreams that implied that there would be a stage when they would actually bow down to him and would show him respect and honor. All of it's pretty messed up, isn't it? And yet, in the midst of all of this, the thing that we're able to see and the thing that we're wanting to look out for and recognize as we think about the life of Joseph is that it is a life that has God's hand upon it. That is so clear. There are little pointers along the way that show that God is in control, that He is protecting His servant Joseph, and He's using him to bring about His will and his purposes. So, in a very real way, this story that we have in the Bible is a real-life example of what we hear in the New Testament in the book of Romans, what Paul tells us in Romans 8 verse 28. This is a key verse for this series, so remember what it is that Paul says there. He tells us, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who've been called according to His purpose. This Bible truth, this big idea in the Bible that God rules and He overrules in all of the circumstances of our life, not just the good stuff, but all of the situations that we go through to bring about His purposes, and that therefore His people are under His guiding and protecting hand in all of the circumstances that they walk through. And with that in mind, I want us to come back today to chapter 37. And, and on this occasion, we're turning our, our attention away from Joseph, and we're going to focus on the eldest in the family, the oldest son, Reuben. And what is it that Reuben tells us about our own lives? And I want you to remember where this favoritism that Jacob had, this favoritism that he showed to Joseph, where it all came from, it actually went back, right back to the wives that Jacob had, because Joseph was the child 
who was born to him from Rachel, and he and she was the wife that Jacob loved most. And remember as well that the older boys had let their dad down, so now Jacob was pinning all of his hopes on this latest arrival. He thought that maybe Joseph could be the son that the older brothers had failed to be. And that's what that code is all about. Look back again at verse 3, the indication of his favor for, jo for Joseph. Jacob made a richly ornamented robe for him. And we thought last week about the powerful signal that that sent out, the symbolism of that coat. That was a coat that was associated with royalty. It was associated with leadership. It would have been most readily associated with the eldest in the family because that was the oldest child's natural robe. So, here when this coat is given to Joseph, it's not only telling us something about Joseph, it's also telling everyone who see the coat something about Reuben. It's like the story of the Bush family. You know the two presidents of America, George Bush Sr. and then his son, George W. Bush. And many people were amazed that of George Bush Sr.'s sons, that it was George W. who became president. Because there's an infamous moment in their family history. When George Sr. was going into politics, he had to hand his oil company over to one of his sons, and he gave control of the company to his younger boy, Jeb, instead of his older son, George. And it was the talk of Texas because it not only sent out a signal about the ability of Jeb, it also was sending out a signal about the incompetence of George. And this special coat given to Joseph would have been a bit of a slap in the face to Reuben. Why did the eldest not receive this coat? Why is the oldest boy, the oldest son, did Reuben not receive this kind of honor? What was going on in Jacob's heart when he made that decision? Well, we know that parents are usually a pretty good judge of their children's character. And we need to go right to the end of this story to hear what Jacob really thought of Reuben. I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 49. And it's another of these really dramatic moments in this story of Joseph and his amazing family. In fact, this would be a brilliant climax to a movie or to a, a TV series or a book. Imagine the scene. Jacob is on his deathbed, and he gathers all of his sons together, and he wants to talk to his sons and bless them. But in doing that, he gives his assessment he gives his really honest verdict of each of his boys. And I want you to hear what he says about Reuben. Genesis 49, verse 3. It starts off well. He says, Reuben, you are my firstborn. You're my might, the first sign of my strength, excelling in honor, excelling in power. That sounds really good. But look at how he continues in verse 4. Turbulent as the waters you will no longer excel, for you went up onto your father's bed. 
onto my couch and defiled it. And imagine the atmosphere in that room. Old Jacob lying there dying, all of the boys in the family gathered together. You could have cut the atmosphere with a knife. Jacob had Reuben well sussed out. And it's a perfect description when he compares him to water, because we know what water is like when we see after all of this rain the past couple of days, a fast-flowing river, or we see the waves crashing in. Yes, water is strong and powerful, but it, it is ever-changing. It's unstable. And why does Jacob have this viewpoint of his first child, Reuben? Well, we need to go back to understand that. So, this time we go back earlier to Genesis chapter 35. And one wee verse in that chapter tucked away that you could almost miss it, and yet a verse that when you really think about it has such an incredible impact on the life of this family. It goes so far to helping us understand this difficult relationship between Jacob and Reuben. It's an incident we could almost miss. It's mentioned in passing, and yet think about its huge impact. Look at Genesis 35 and verse 22. It tells us while Israel, remember that's another name for Jacob. So, while Jacob was living in that region, Reuben went in and slept with his father's concubine, Bilhah, and Israel, that is Jacob, heard of it. It's yet another East Ender storyline, isn't it? Bilhah was a servant of Rachel, who Jacob took as his wife in order to bear him children. And while we would be rightly uncomfortable with that idea, while we know that that was not the right thing to do, we need to recognize that it was well understood within all of the family that Bilhah belonged to Jacob, that effectively Bilhah was Jacob's wife. And yet, what does Reuben do? He takes her as his own. He slept with his father's wife. And then the big punchline, and Israel heard of it. Jacob found out. And Jacob always carried this knowledge with him, the betrayal, the abuse of trust. Is it any wonder that in future, Jacob would look to another son to do what Reuben rightfully should have done? And as we hear of that story today, let's not just rush away from that too quickly, because what we need to recognize today is as much as Reuben let his dad down, as much as he had sinned against his dad, like all sin, ultimately this was sin against God. More than anything else, Reuben had failed the Lord. And if we understood this about sin, if we realized in our own lives that all of those words that we speak, all of those actions that we do, all of those thoughts that we have that are damaging and hurtful to other people are ultimately sin against God, surely it would transform the way in which we think about those acts and our approach to all of those things. It's like the words of David in Psalm 51. You know that Psalm where David, after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba, after he had had her husband Uriah killed in, in the thick of the battle 
in order to cover up his sin, was confronted by God through God's prophet Nathan. And he wrote this song, this song of repentance, this song saying, I'm sorry, God, I've messed up. And he recognizes the nature of sin in that psalm. In Psalm 51 verse 4, he says, Lord, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak, and you are justified when you judge me. So, coming back to Reuben, is Reuben a complete write-off? Is this guy Reuben evil personified? Well, I think what we read of Reuben here in Genesis chapter 37 helps us to see that Reuben is just like us. Reuben is a sinner. Reuben is someone who messes up in his life. And in this particular story here in Genesis 37, we get to see the very best and the worst of Reuben. Very briefly, we get to see him at his best because we get to see his intervention and his good intentions. The brothers decide that they will kill Joseph and they'll get rid of his body. But, but look at Reuben's response. There's something instinctively inside him that says, no. Verse 21, he says, when, it tells us when Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue Joseph from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. And we're told that Reuben said this so that he could rescue Joseph from them and take him back to his father. It was Reuben's intention. It was his desire that no harm would come to Joseph, that instead he would restore Joseph to his father once again. And in this, we get to see some compassion we get to see that Reuben did have a conscience. He did have a sense of what was right and what was wrong. We get to see that despite all that had happened between them, he did have a respect for his father Jacob, and he did think about his father's feelings. It will kill the old man if Joseph dies. And in that sense, we're getting to see this man Reuben at his best, just as at times we do things that are good and that are noble and enable people to see us in those moments at our best, but we also get to see the very worst of Reuben in this story as well, because we also see his failure to fully stand for what is right. He knows what is right, but he doesn't do what he should do. We don't know why he left the scene, but it's clear that he's away when the plot is, 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 is invented to get rid of Joseph through selling him as a slave to these Ishmaelites. And just to say again about that, so that we recognize this, even in that moment, even in the pit, and even when he's raised out of the pit, not to be rescued, but to be enslaved, God's hand is very much upon Joseph's life. This is God's way, as we'll see next week, of bringing Joseph exactly where he wants him to be, 
of using Joseph to save his people. But on Reuben's return, if you look at verse 29, he sees that Joseph was not there. And what is it that he does? He tears his clothes. It's an indication of, of real remorse and sadness and sorrow. And in verse 30, he goes back to his brothers and he says, the boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? And yes, there is in that fear, fear of his father. He's led his father down big style before by sleeping with his father's wife. Now what's his dad going to say about him? But there's also distress that deep down Reuben knows that his brothers have done the wrong thing. But here's the thing. Remember that Reuben was the eldest. Why did he resent Joseph receiving that coat? Not just because of its style, not because he reckons it would have looked good on him, but because of the signal. Reuben should have been the leader of that family. And here, he had a chance to prove his father wrong. He had a chance to say, I am going to be the leader of my brothers. I am going to do what the elders should do. I'm going to exercise my authority. I know this is wrong, and I'm going to stop these guys on their tracks, but he didn't. He failed to take his stand right at the start. He failed to do the right thing. And I believe that is a powerful lesson for us today. The danger and the tragedy of good intentions that come to nothing. When in our lives we know what the right thing to do is, but we stand back and we leave it until it's too late. And I want to challenge you today really specifically, could there be a situation in your life, a real world situation right here, right now, where you could do something to make a difference, where you know what the right thing is to do, but you're standing back? Is there a broken relationship in your family? Is there a, a ruined friendship? And you need to take the first step in putting that right. But maybe your pride or fear is holding you back. Is there an injustice that you see going on within your family or in your workplace? Someone who's being mistreated and you think, if I get involved here, I'm going to offend that person or I'm maybe going to have my job under threat. Are you sitting back when you know what the right thing is to do? Is there a situation where your intervention today or tomorrow could make a real difference? Reuben's story is such a sad one, and it's such a warning for us, a warning of wrong choices and missed opportunities. But that's Reuben. But as we finish, what about you? What about me? Could our character be described as turbulent as the waters? Is that what we are like all over the show? Or are we, through submitting our lives to Jesus Christ, conformed to His likeness, to the rock of our salvation, 
Are we by faith in Christ seeing the Spirit of God at work in our lives so that rather than our life being turbulent and us being all over the show and no one knowing where they're at with us, instead we display the fruit of the Spirit so that our life is all about love and joy and peace and patience. It's all about kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Is your security, your hope, your character built upon the rock of Christ? Whenever you're conscious of your feelings as I am, whenever you're conscious of your, your bad choices and your sin, when we are conscious of just how far we have fallen short of God's glory and offended Him and sinned against Him, it is to Jesus that we turn. It's His cross that is the place that we come to where mercy and forgiveness is found for a sinner like me and for sinners like you. So that we say today, hallelujah, what a Savior. And we're going to sing